Welcome to Mouth Off, a podcast for and about marginalised groups. Episodes cover a wide range of topics from sexuality and gender to race and religion. My name's Clary Sadler and on today's episode I'll be interviewing poet, playwright, author and lyricist Patrick Jones. We'll be continuing with the mini-series Be Pure, Be Vigilant, Behave, discussing the career and body of work of Welsh rock band Manic Street Preachers. Patrick will be discussing life with the Manic Street Preachers as the older brother of Nicky Wire, as well as discussing James Dean Bradfield's second solo album, the groundbreaking Even in Exile. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. I, I haven't really spoken about it much. So um, I, I did an interview a couple of weeks back with a, oh, it was a great magazine sort of down in Chile, it was anyway, and, and they were celebrating, it was 50 years since um, the album with uh, the, the classic Victor Hara song, um, The Right to Live in Peace. El derecho de A toda la humanidad, ningún cañón borrará el surco de tu arrozal, el derecho de vivir en paz. Indochina es el lugar más allá. Mar, donde revientan la flor con genocidio y napal la luna es una explosión que funde todo el clamor el derecho de vivir en paz
so I, I may be a bit rusty, but you know, we let, we, we, we can, we can just have a chat and, you know, th- thanks for, um, you know, going with it really. And what you said about, you know, the songs you like and that, yeah, yeah it's really yeah. nice to hear really. Definitely. I think um, I've used the period of lockdown to re not reconnect with music because music, you know, is my life very much the same as you and how words and poetry and literature is your life. I don't know if you find this, Patrick, when it becomes a little bit of a nine to five, I don't know if I appreciate it in the way I used to. I do now because I've made a point of going back to it. But when I was sort of going to work and doing a specific kind of thing, I found that I wasn't just coming back and putting on an LP or putting a CD in the player in the car. I just I, I kind of switch off to it because I'd been in the music mode all day. And I've, yeah, I've made a point of just, and that was one of the ones I revisited because, of course, it came out and I bought it and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Put it on the vinyl, had a listen. And then, I don't know, it's just I haven't been listening to music as much. Certainly, I guess, over, I forget what lockdown we've been on now. (laughs) After Christmas, you know, I think everyone was a bit, oh, not again. and. Yeah, I think I had a little look at myself and I thought, well, I could do this. I've got the time to do it. So I've just really been reaching into these old albums and not even old albums, new albums that I haven't fully immersed myself in. And and that's kind of why I wanted to chat about this, because that's the one that's sort of in my, my CD player at the minute. Great, lovely, yeah. <laughs> no, it's um, I, 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 I'm do, doing a bit of pl- online play reading the next in next week, I think it is, and I'm working with an actor who um was in my first play, um, uh, Ollie Ryan, his name is, and we were talking today, and he said he he he'd only just discovered the the album, and he was just saying how much he really connected with him, and it was just really nice. I can pass that to James now because James really loved him twenty years ago when he was in this play, and he's he was yeah. only a youngster, you know. So so it's yeah. Music is, is it's a great connector, even, even though all the way down in Chile, you know, perhaps not everyone knew the story of Victor Hara. And, and, um, uh, but I think the songs, you know, hopefully the songs are not preachy. They're not like jump around a bit like Victor Hara songs. They're not fist yeah. type of thing. 
you know, we, we decided to approach it from more of a personal standpoint, I think, which perhaps connects then with, um, it does. with it really our own come, lives. really comes across. And I think, yeah, for me personally, I knew, I knew the name and I knew that, you know, something tragic had happened to him. I, I probably didn't know a great deal. And of course, as any great album does, you, you just really want to pick up a book or, I mean, we've got the internet at our fingertips now. So just sort of research it and find out more about it. And it was lovely listening to, uh, listening to the podcast that James did to accompany that story as well, because I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily have, have known, you know, the ins and outs of, of what, what happened there. And it, yeah, I think it was just nice to open your eyes. And as you say, in not a preachy way, in a way that kind of connected personally. the early lyrics we were a little bit like that because I was coming at it from a different angle and then we sort of sat down and just sort of it just sort of branched out into something else and I just found myself digging much deeper into Victor Hara's sort of you know he, he was such a family man that's what I loved about him you know he was his family was so important to him and um, just those little moments that he you know a big influence was Joan Hara's uh, book and, and the unfinished song mm-hmm. about a lot of that you know and it, it just um yeah, really, really stayed with me. So, you know, yes, that's how it uh, turned out, really. And it was it was a lovely process. You, you know, it's so much easier than writing a book of 40 poems that yeah. endlessly rejected by publishers. <laughs> you know, 11 lyrics was quite easier. <laughs> yes. Yes, music, yes. It's a great connector and, um, yeah, you know, sanctuary again, yeah. Yeah, so I started this podcast. I mean, as you know, you've been on before. You've been, I think you were on in like episode six. Yeah, last year, right at the start of the whole lockdown. (laughs) 
But yes, <laughs> yeah, you know, we started, I guess, with the goal of giving a, a platform for marginalized voices or even people that maybe they're not marginalized themselves, but just kind of want to get that message out or want to speak of kind of these stories. And we've had an, an array of people on talking about LGBT plus issues, you know, working class communities, gender, you know, discussed a, a variety of topics and yourself um, when you came on last year. And being a musician and, and kind of having that passion always simmering under the surface, I did want to do a, a music-themed episode, I, I guess as a bonus episode, really, just just for myself, indulging myself, really. And I, yeah, I kind of I thought, well, where do you start? There's, you know, so many great musicians, bands, singers out there, songwriters who themselves might, you know, identify as marginalized or who aim to talk upon these issues. And I wanted to sort of, I guess, do someone I consider the ultimate band for coming across these issues in, as you say, not a preachy way. Interestingly, that I decided to look at the Manic Street Preachers with a name, <laughs> but yeah, not in a preachy way. Yes, and yeah. you know, I, I, of course, they're they're white, <laughs> older men. They're not you you're marginalised in the typical sense. But I've always felt, listening to them from a young age, that they talk upon issues that reach a, a range of audiences. Do you think? Obviously, you've you've seen how they've progressed. You've been on the sideline sometimes and in the forefront at other times. Would you describe the, the Manic Street Preachers as that kind of band, a band for, you know, marginalised communities? Oh, yeah, definitely, you know. Uh, and I think, you know, I was thinking because we're going, um, you know, I lost both my parents and we're going through the, the house and, and, and all that and, and my dad's shed and me and Nick were up there the other day and, you know, I said, said do you remember practising in, in that little shed? And, and you know, we can hardly stand up on it now. Yeah. So I use that, you know, as a bit of a symbol, really, because when they started, you know, I was a little bit older than them. I had obviously gone to America and with writing, how I was finding my voice and expression. But, um, you know, they, they had no money. They borrowed instruments. They, you know, you know, no one really liked what they were doing, but they were writing about things that, because when you think about that era, you know, it was um, Jesus Jones, EMF. You know, yeah. Stone Roses had come out, I think, obviously. Suede were around. There wasn't many bands writing, I suppose, about bearing witness to the society we were living in, the world we were living in. And if you look at their first album, I think, Mannix, you know, it's a bit of a Jackson Pollock painting of different <laughs> issues and themes. And, and then obviously, you know, with Richie's um, uh, input as well, a different sort of lyricist as well. That, and I'm, I'm trying to be a bit objective. Obviously, he's next mm. my brother, and I know them well. But I think that... Um, they set out from a standpoint of of, you know, of truth, you know, and their truth reflecting the stories that they were living and the people they knew and, and where they came from. So, yeah, you're right. They're white, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it, it was a, we, we, they're all from very working class communities, uh, exactly, families, you yeah. know. My family had nothing growing up, you know. It, it, if we had, you know, I remember the old day of, you know, Milkman coming round, um, you know, hiding, you know, boys, go, go up to your rooms in a minute because di we didn't have any money to pay the milkman and things like that. So, yeah, you know, um, I suppose marginalised covers so many different things, you know, and where yeah. we came from, the whole community was marginalised. It was post, you know, the, the, the miners' strike. Yeah. You know, it was a huge, you know, struggle of, of making ends meet, you know, just like today has been, you know, as in the last year, people really up against it. And um, so, 
yeah, I can't speak for them, but I think they set out with this vision of let's just, um, you know, not just be self-indulgent. Let's write about things that perhaps, you know, connect with people and want to move people. So, yeah, that was then. And, you know, obviously they grow and develop and they're middle age now, you know, 51, 52. Mm. But obviously, but um, yeah, I still think, you know, they're, they're dealing with issues. Perhaps not that many bands really still go there. Thirty Years War, for example, I think that's quite yeah beautiful lyric, and um, yeah, so that's my take on on them. I think, um, and also you know to reflect the stuff that influenced them, perhaps myself a bit with all sorts of writers. Really, it wasn't just Welsh writers or the Mabi Nogion, as great as that is. You know, it, it, <laughs> it was um, Ralph Ellison, uh, a great Black American writer. Um, he wrote Invisible Man, which was just I remember sharing that with James and Richie. And it blew our minds, really. Allen Ginsberg, who was obviously so, you know, openly gay and, um, you know, w- would recount the, the experience of that community in America, um, which was still quite radical when you think, you know, it, you know, touching our time. It was still an area, you know, even though we had quite, you know, the music in the 80s was very, very open. And, you know, people like Soft Cell were big influences. Mm. But, but, but literature, literature-wise, growing up in the Valleys, we never had that in school. But to read Ginsberg... It was it was really empowering and really liberating for us all. I think um, this this voice, w- w- which I came upon in about nineteen eighty five, eighty six, I suppose. You know, um, so sorry, I've gone a bit of a scattergun approach there. <laughs> no. um, I can't speak for them. I've, I've never been in the band, <laughs> obviously, yeah. next to my brother, and we've shared a lot of um, times together with James and that. But yeah, so you've mentioned there about you know other other musicians that maybe were sort of doing you know like stone roses suede not really doing the same kind of thing no in terms of music that that you liked at at that time and and even now 
Would you say, you know, that your level of fandom has ever veered towards an obsession for a musical band or an artist? Or has it always mainly been the literature that has been the thing that has sort of driven you and and, and got you excited? <laughs> To be honest, I wasn't a great reader, you know, I really, I struggled in school and probably didn't read, you know, a poem till I had probably, yeah, probably, you know, poetry, more like in university when I was like 20, <laughs> you know, I wasn't like some child protege, you know, <laughs> into li literature at all. It was music, was my language, you know, going back to, I suppose, it started with, um, you know, a bit of the heavy rock time, you know, <laughs> I, I got to admit that, T terrible lyrics, but it was just guitars and, you know, that sort of thing when I was about 14, 15. That started, and then, you know, I was obsessed with a band called Rush. You, I don't know if you've yes, heard of the band yeah. Rush, you know. Um, yeah, and I still listen to them now, and I love their journey of, you know, art artistry. You know, it, it was just, they made me go and read a little books or re look into more stuff, go to the library, as you would have to then from their references. Some were slightly, should we say, you know, um, not my cup of tea. Ayn Rand, for example, they, you know, they were quite inspired by some of her words in, in the early lyrics. Um, I, I when I looked it up, I remember thinking, "No, nah, I don't really quite get what she was about, really." So, um, <laughs> so, so, but, but still, you know, I think sometimes you have to you have to read something which you you know disagree with um, along that journey. Early Billy Bragg, his first two albums, The Clash, obviously, were always there. Early Sex Pistols, well, early Sex Pistols as in one album. Yeah. Civil Fingers were a huge um, influence, I think, yeah, um, their first album. <laughs> So it, it was music then, I think. I'm not trying to romanticise it, but, it, you know, it, you, you sort of lived and died for a band or, or a yeah. an ethos with the band, perhaps. You know, I mean, buying you know, the U2 albums year after year, you know, until Bono got a bit up his own <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, The Unforgettable Fire, that was just such a pivotal time in my life. I remember I was going to, I think, perhaps my first year in university or, and, uh, no, second year in university. For, oh, sorry, war was, yeah, war. I remember war going, I was 83, going to university. And just that, you know, it really galvanized a lot of my thoughts and, um, you know, just just helped educate me and, you know, give me a balance, I suppose. So music, yeah, it, it was a bit, yeah. It, it, it was, um, it was speaking my language. Poetry didn't yeah. hit me until a bit later, I'll be honest. <laughs> Do you think 
Would you have been more, would you have found it more appealing if a band had had, like you said, an ethos or their own sort of philosophy or manifesto? Is that the kind of thing that, that drew you in? N- not like, should we say, you know, Kraz or someone like that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, although I, in looking back, I love what they did and I love their albums, but I, I couldn't get in sonically into their music really. It was just too, you know, I do like a good guitar riff. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, it, it wasn't like, you know, um, it was almost like tribal, wasn't it? You would have your mods, your punks and you have mm-hmm. your rockers and your two tones, you know, um, that's the way you grew up, I suppose. And it was, it was a way of belonging, you know. Did you have any sort of uh, what you might call now guilty pleasures? You know, did you love a bit of a Cindy Lauper on the sly? Or <laughs> yeah, and I always loved Soft Cell, but being a heavy rock band, mm. you you couldn't really talk about that. But I, I just <laughs> loved the melodies that Mark Almond and I can't think of the other member of it. Sorry, um, yeah, Mark. Almond, but you know, so I did really love Soft Cell and that sort of you know um, genre of music a little bit. But it it was more the so guilty pleasures, yeah. Um, bit of Duran Duran, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But music, yeah, music was my first language, I suppose. And I had a guitar. I saved up, worked in the summer, had a 65-pound guitar from Kay's catalogue, probably a bit before your time, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm not trying to romanticise it. it. There were hard times as well, you know, obviously working crap jobs and mm. just, you know, just not knowing what to do. But, but, but it was always that glimmer of just going back and listening to an album and, you know, uh, yeah, safe in that world. So it, it was almost like a little... Yeah, a little safe, safe place, music and albums to me, yeah. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about going back to the Manics again and, and bands with manifestos. Um, I mean, as you said, you, you weren't in the band. You can only really speak on what you witnessed <laughs> and how you've seen them grow. But do you think they've remained true to, I don't know if you could call it a manifesto, but, you know, 
It certainly seemed like there was a clear one in the early days. Yeah, well, I think as any artist, you know, you know, it changes along the way. You know, children come along, mortgages, mm. and I suppose fame and, and and sort of money does change your approach a little bit. Oh, it's it's bound to, you know. Um, not for poets, <laughs> that doesn't really change. But um, you know, knowing them as individuals now, the core is still there. Obviously, the spray painted shirts that was a twenty year old's way of 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 reaching out and screaming a little bit. Um, but I think you know that yeah. So manifesto, yeah. Obviously, I don't know what their core would be for their next album. Should we say? Obviously, mm-hmm. I don't know. Don't know. But but what I know of the the boys <laughs> that that um, yeah, that sort of. You know, should we say that journey from when they started? Uh, and and if you look back, if you look at all the bands around that time, very few were around now. You know, and 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 Fair Play and the Manics have always just created. Maybe some albums have flopped. You know, as anything in in the world of you know music and creation sort of thing. Um, mm. But I think you know the beauty of it is that they just love crafting songs and trying to bear witness, as yeah. opposed to what. Maybe it's become a little bit more inter- introspective as time has gone on. That's age a little bit, I think. You know, it's not all ranting and, like I said, you know, um, repeat after me for Queen and Country type of thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just a trajectory, perhaps, of, you, you know, you, it could be argued that if a band starts off there and is exa- exactly the same in 25 years, has that, is that a development? Maybe? Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, some people live off a couple of hits from like in the eighties, don't they? You know, sort mm. of thing. So, um, but yeah, but I'm I'm no spokesperson for the Manics, you know. Obviously, I'm just no, no, of course. And I I suppose yeah, I wanted to get a little bit of, of that background, just discussing that before we get on to talking about even in exile. Yeah, because that is a second solo album by Manics frontman James Dean Bradfield and. As you've mentioned at the start, it pays tribute to um, Chilean activist and musician Victor Jara. was released in August 2020. You wrote the lyrics for the album a few years before that, though. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I had the idea, sort of, what God, in, in a way, about writing about Victor Hara back in 2016, 2017, really. You know, I won't bore you with a long story of it, but it was it's really a strange, you know, sort of serendipity of different things in a nutshell. 
I, I was working on a play before I leave. I think we've talked about that, haven't we? And, yeah. and, and in the audition, um, an 80-year-old woman walked in. She's in Cardiff. She'd come from London. I didn't know much about her. I knew the name, et cetera. And she was marvellous. She was just like this eccentric, you know, passionate, she, you know, 80, coming all the way down from London on the train, mm-hmm. step into an audition room. Anyway, uh, Celia. And um, she, yeah, we got talking. And she, um, I think I had, I can't remember how, but when I Googled it, I saw that she, she was the widow of uh, Adrian Mitchell, a, a great poet who, who I really liked. So I got talking a bit, a bit about his work. And then it went on that, that she explained that when um, um, Victoria's widow, uh, Joan, came in exile from Chile to England with, her do- with their daughters, Joan and her children stayed with Celia and Adrian Mitchell in London. And so I thought that was a fascinating part of the story. She got the part, and then sadly she was she got she fell down the stairs. She and she she's she's all right, but she um we had to get someone else in. She she didn't perform in the play. She was it was quite sad. And then she had to go to London because she obviously she was eighty, you know, and uh, been through a lot anyway. And then a couple of weeks later, I was going through Cardiff, you know, and uh, Canton picked and just saw this charity shop um, copy of manifesto of of Victor Hara, all my manifestos. This battered old, dilapidated vinyl picked it up, and it, 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 they were quite tough times because I remember it was two pound, and I nearly didn't buy it because it was tight times. And, <laughs> and but I bought it anyway. Went home, listened to it, and it was just, yeah, it just blew me away. Because, like I said, I knew the story a little bit, and then the serendipitous talking to uh, Celia, mm-hmm. picking up this album, and it had translations. album because it's got Victor Hara singing and then which doesn't really contradict the listening experience you've got um translation going on as he's singing it's quite bizarre you know and uh, and Adrian Mitchell's poem is on there as well so because Adrian Mitchell uh, was a huge you know supporter of uh, of Victor um and the sort of movement in Chile in the 70s all this all this going on anyway so 2017 I remember sitting down and I just started writing a few things and I just thought because then I, sorry, I missed out one key point. I started Googling and finding more because I was no expert on Victor Hara or Chile or Pinochet 
you know, it's just things you, you hear about. And I, and I thought, I need to find out more about this. And then when you find the story, when I read about that story, I thought, I just couldn't believe the, the inhumanity and the injustice that had gone on, you know, and, and it just fired me up. And I just wanted to, to write about it, you know, and then you find out about America's involvement mm. in, 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 um, in Pinochet's regime, how they were frightened of socialism in Chile, so infiltrated. And you think this is just as in the tandem with um, Trump had been elected in 2016, obviously. Ah. So it was all these things going on in my head of thinking, you know, 47, eight years on, has anything changed? And so it just felt the right time to sort of explore that, but also see it re its resonance to now. And that's a really long <laughs> statement of wh wh where it came from. And then James used to pop around, as he said in interviews, on a Sunday night, he would go and see his dad. I was at a bit of a low ebb for, for many different reasons, going through a divorce. My mom was, was diagnosed then with leukemia. So I was a little bit, you know, difficult time, really. And, um, yeah, James would come on Sunday. We would talk. I would check him ideas. And so I started, you know, just um, showing him a few poems. And then, you know, he, he didn't go straight away. Oh, let's make an album. Nothing like that. It, was, um, it took a few months, really. And then he thought, oh, as he came back and he said, oh, I put some music to one of those poems. Do you want to have a listen? And then. And then suddenly this, this whole, whole concept sort of <laughs> evolved from, from that. So there we are. So, it, you know, it, yeah, it, there was no sense that it was going to be, well, even then, you know, it, it, we thought we could just do it as an EP or something. It was no yeah. grand plan. It, I just knew that it was a story that had that these, all these elements, you know, um, you know, from the political, as I said, and, and the, the sense of um, standing up to, you know, big business and, and then the privatization of a country which was what happened in, in Chile. Um, and uh, uh, so alongside that, the power of music, and then Victor Hara, this very quiet, gentle-spoken family man. And they just mm. thought, I just thought, oh, what a powerful story. So, yeah, anyway, th that's where it came from, really. Yes. And, and a sense of rage as well. I think you've got to have that sometimes if you, you move to write, you know. And yeah. So uh, that's where it came from. <laughs> Uh, hopefully a, a very, you know, very um, real place, really, as much as real can be separated from Chile and Wales. But um, you have done a spoken word or a few spoken word uh, poetry albums. So you've, you know a little bit about that process of having the music reflecting in a way, I guess, that, you know, as the chief lyricist, it needs to to reflect your message. Like you say, if there is rage and fire in there, and you don't want something soft and acoustic. So I guess I was just wondering how, how much musical input did you have? We are not deceived by your words. We see through your promises. We sanctify your lives. We are the disaffected, the isolated wounds of subtle napalm. Shopping doesn't make us happy. Commercials kill our sensitivity. Freedom is nothing without responsibility. And in the rain-drenched tarpaulins of the market traders lays the epitome of belief. Clinging to our pennies, an entrance or an exit, a memory or a dream. This hole in my throat, this gap in the ink, this place without meaning. This stuttering eloquence of screaming. Say, save us all, allow desolations, find a path, be unafraid to act. Hold life, stand, stand, oak tall. Even the smallest body makes a shadow. In the hanging out to wash in the protest of discipline Tiny hands scraping solitudes clinging to moments Creating miracles from everyday routines In the dignity of iron, in the anxiety of mortgages the, the, the sentence of being, but still, still, still the being 
We are butterflies trapped in the frost. Victory is acknowledging the fact that we, we have not yet lost. So caress me with your alienation, alienate me with your crest. Create me with your credit and pour me power through direct debit. Feed me freedom from selling shares and paint me a symbol and tell me I'm free. We are, we are the girl of tapestry. In the silence of insurance payments, council tax benefits, industrial tribunals, any pictures, the super savers, the lottery watchers. We are the incoherent throats searching for sound. The peaceful protest of the single mother, social worker at the homeless shelter. We are the happy shoppers, the credit cravers, the sales offers, the pound stretchers, the breaking fabric of modernity, stitched only by our solitude. We are the temporary fragments of a capitalist master plan. Unemployment statistics, family, credit beggars, no you mentioned spoken word yeah i think it's a different process because and that's what i learned because i would present james with a poem and he would say what's this <laughs> you know so he, he's quite a, t- a tough taskmaster master mm-hmm. and so then he he would put it back and say no you know you know i i need something more um tangible so you know what's mm-hmm. the key phrases what you know chisel it into something more singable he would always tweak it so then i would go away from that base poem and then i would write verses and and I, I wouldn't say, you know, always a chorus. James is very good at pick, picking those out. So, but musically, yeah. I mean, there was one moment when he came back with Boy from the Plantation. And uh, no, was it Boy? Yeah, it was. That's right. And he played it to me. And I said, oh, I just think it's too happy, clappy, James. And, yeah. and his, face, his face went like rock. He really wasn't happy. <laughs> but even though, you know, even though he, he'll, you know, he was very open in his, critis- you know, brutally critis- criticism of some of the lyrics I gave him. But, but what he did, he went away then and, and he came back with the version that we hear, which I think is such a moving, mm. oh, you know, goose pimpled um, version. So it, it sort of sparked him off a bit. Yeah. But it, it just didn't feel right. But that's the, you know, that is the only musical input I had in the album, which is fine. Words in my music, I suppose. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I trusted him. Yeah, of course, you know he's been working. Look, look at the songs he's created. So mm. yeah. So in answer to your question, yeah, it's, it's a, it was quite a linear division of labour. Yeah, which I think worked really well. And actually, you know, listening to it, I think I felt that the 
the music did do the lyrics justice. It never did, never felt jarring at all. Um, although I'd be interested to hear the happy clappy <laughs> version, <laughs> original version. <laughs> yeah. And did you sort of, I guess, did you discuss both of you the overall aesthetics of the album or did it kind or was it quite organic? You know, just, I mean, thinking of the album artwork, it's simple, but it's just even, even that is, yeah, very. Yeah, I suppose the most important thing I think was was getting the balance of the of the songs right, you know, and so it wasn't all, should we say, socioeconomic political rants. Yeah. Um, and what we found in there, obviously, you know, because revolution sometimes, isn't it? There's a tendency for it to be dominated or written by males, you know. And what we found, obviously, in Victor's story was, you know, the, the legacy of um, Violetta Para, Para, mm. obviously, who was a massive influence on him in, in the first instance. And his mother, who played guitar and taught him songs, and his wife, Joan. So so I knew that we, we really had to tell some t- stories, you know, through the voice of the female I- in this story. Um, and I love the songs that James created then when I said this is sort of, you know, Boy from the Plantation it is his mother looking back as in this other world of death because she died when she was 15. Sorry, when he was 15. Mm hmm. So he was very young. He had to become the, the head of the family. So it was like this quite a, a yearning sense of, you know, um, parenthood or motherhood, should we say, you know, of, of looking back at to your son that never knew you and you never knew him and his success, etc. So what was the question again? Sorry, yes. So, <laughs> so yeah, I heard all these different voices, you know, um, like I said, um, the female voice became really apparent that we needed to address that and deal with it in, 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 the, in the tracks. And then we needed, I suppose, to give it a bit of a, 
a sort of a journey, really, and that's where we ended with Santiago Sunrise. Which is sort of set in a way of um, it, it was about 2018 in um, in Chile. Obviously, when they were having protests again on the streets, and people were being uh, arrested, and, and they were singing Victor Hara songs in Santiago, which I thought was just a you know you know a, a beautiful moment. So yeah, so so, so aesthetically, no, I, you know that that was James's call because it was his album about the artwork and how it looked, mm-hmm. um, which is fine, of course. You know, it it, it wasn't like like I said, it's my one of my spoken word albums with mu- a musician. It was it was yeah. it was more yeah, just a different pro- uh, process of creation. But I suppose we had to get, and that was the most. It was the hardest, but the most beautiful part of crafting those songs and the lyrics, which then hopefully told sort of a story. If that makes. <laughs> Without it being too twee, we, we it was more of a you know expressionistic story, shall we say? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and is that um, that sort of writing in character? Is that something? I suppose. I mean, obviously, I'm not not thinking in relation to playwriting now, but in, in relation to your poetry, is that something you've explored a lot? No, I haven't. No, I've, I've never done because I think poetry is always well mm. the way I write. I suppose more so is more the first person yeah. it's I you know and um it's more confessional in a way or you know look, looking out upon the world so it was a different approach to me for, for me really but it, but it does help obviously you know hearing the voices of, of characters you one creates in plays because that, that mm. has to come 
in you know from somewhere else as well that if you you can't all be yourself in plays obviously you create no. these voices and characters and stories yeah but i also find it quite liberating really to sort of set aside my own shall we say agenda in a way to to channel you know the voices really joan in without knowing the end for example yeah that was was just i find it quite a fulfilling process you know in a way to try a different voice liberating do you think, do you think that, that writing lyrics is something you would consider doing again with with another musician if someone approached you is this something you would be open to doing <laughs> yeah, like i said in a way it's a lot easier it's a lot more um just a different process obviously and obviously as working with james bradfield there was going to be an audience where you know when i was creating poems i was thinking no one's going to publish my poetry for this because i don't know you know it just didn't feel it was it's, it was hard to get poetry out at that time yeah. and I didn't have much interest from publishers anyway. So um, as to another project, yeah, I mean, I quite like writing lyrics. It's a bit simpler, but but I also feel very restricted sometimes, you know, because you do have to have that scanning. You do have to have, mm-hmm. not have to, should we say, sorry, that, that's wrong. But most of the songs perhaps that stick in our heads, you know, you, you've got that chorus, you've got that sort of, you know, rhyming couplets perhaps, you know, which is easier, I said, but it, it's also quite a, a process of distilling all those ideas down which you know mm. is quite hard to do i think as well for for my mind you know i'm a bit haphazard so mm-hmm. it was quite a discipline perhaps that's the word i was looking for yeah but uh ha- happy discipline yeah so yeah i'm always up for for collaborations anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah and i think uh, someone who writes lyrics and poetry myself they're very you know they're two different hats and i think after our last interview actually as you know my father had just died or actually I think he was in the hospice at the time he hadn't passed away at that point and uh, you know just chatting to you and you shared one of your poems from my bright shadow and I actually I think after that interview went away and, and wrote some poetry about the situation with my dad and it was very different to how I would have, you know, written a song about it. It just, I don't know, it just kind of my my brain goes into a different mode. And you're right, you don't really, whether it rhymes or not, it it doesn't matter. I I don't sort of go into it trying to, uh, let's write something that rhymes. I sort of forget all that. It is a different discipline. I think you're right there. It is, yeah. And I I suppose, yeah, just to write a song, I suppose it's good to have that. You work a little bit, uh, so you... Do you play an instrument as well? And so you write. Yeah, I play guitar. Yeah. Okay. Oh well. So so you could you can almost share that 
melody in your head a little bit, perhaps, which helps, doesn't it, to yeah. write the song lyric. Yeah, but Peach, I think, has got its, you know, its pure sense of communication. But it, yeah, it's just, it's just how you go into it, I suppose. Like, I'm, I'm like with you, I think, with the poem, it's just, I find it hard to write poetry on a screen. I don't know about you. Yeah, but no, I don't. I just like notebook. Yeah. yeah. So quite free, really. Um, so yeah, it's just, it was nice to go back to poetry after in a way, because I didn't have the pressure then of, <laughs> of James going, how, you know, what are you going to do with that? You need to shorten that line and all that, you know, it's quite, yeah. quite, you know, you know, makes it a bit anxious. But, um, but I also then, interestingly, I missed in a way, you know, that collaboration mm. w- w- with a musician, you know, um, because you're, you're back to yourself then. And it's just you against the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's not the first time you've collaborated with the Manics or some of them. I know, um, was it James and Nikki wrote the title song? for Before I Leave, which is the play that you've just uh, discussed where you auditioned Celia, was it? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I think they did. They contribute to your spoken word album as well. Uh, Tongues for a stammering time. Yeah, and James did on my first one as well, commemoration amnesia. You know, yeah, and James has done you know uh, whole uh, soundtracks for I think it's two or three plays. You know, yeah. he's worked with. Yeah, so and yeah, <laughs> Nick and I it's a little bit more haphazard. You know, brothers and and work <laughs> and it doesn't always work out. But um, but yeah, you know, it's a lovely song they wrote for before I leave. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I was listening to um, their first album, uh, Generation Terrorists, and it, it, there's two of your poems or, or, or intros, a sort of spoken word intro to um, yeah. Love Sweet Excel. Between the billboard masturbation across the highways of metallic isolation, there lies the deafening screaming of the millions wiping out of the diseased pages of apathy that bleeds on innocence. Crucifix Kiss. So mighty, so hegemonic, so hated, so desecrated, so they, so no way, so urgent, we fall between indifference, rejection, and the whole fucking world we fall. Are 
Is that is it your voice as well? I was wondering that. Yeah, a very young version, obviously. <laughs> Funny enough, I was living in America and, and Nick had asked to record a few little pieces. So I was 1991, 1992, I think it was. Yeah. And um, and I remember doing it on a little cassette and popping that cassette <laughs> off to Britain, you know, and then they yeah. used it. It was a really lovely moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I do sound a little bit uh, higher voice, perhaps. <laughs> How did that come about? Was it just that, you know, they'd seen the poetry and thought, oh, that would that would suit these two songs yeah again I used to send poetry back you know I was living in America from 89 to 92 and um so it was just that you know letter writing was always a big thing between me Nick James Richie etc and we would share poems and looks etc so they had seen some things yeah I think one poem was it was it was called the eloquence in the screaming I think it was and they like that title um so i think i might have recorded a big chunk and then they just cut it up into you know obviously a a verse which was it was lovely you know so mm-hmm. that was the probably starting point of james's guitar with with some of my words if you know yeah what I mean. yeah definitely yeah i also read somewhere that their song tennessee was inspired by something you had said or your your travels in america <laughs> That's right, it was really, I suppose, yeah. Um, because I, I lived in Tennessee, but I was also, I, I, I just loved Tennessee Williams' work. So yeah. it, was, it was a bit of resonance about that, a bit of metaphorical wordplay with Tennessee, really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, James would guess, and he still does it now, he gets inspired by one word or something, and he was obsessed <laughs> with the word Tennessee. I don't know why. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, older brother, obviously I was four, I'm four years older than Nick, so, so I was you plowing on in the world doing whatever you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i suppose and um uh yeah it's, it's just nice that um yeah there, there was that sense of back and forthness of words really you know it, it was very pure in those days you know like i said when i saw back at the, in the shed remembering them practicing there or i remember uh, going to james's house where his dad still lives and um and he, i think james's mom was out working and his dad had come in from work and had fell, fell asleep in the chair with a cigarette burning mm-hmm. uh, there in his hand. And, and there was the band practicing with their drums, guitar. So the noise was just crazy. <laughs> and I was there with my typewriter trying to be Jack Kerouac. Mm-hmm. And, and Monty, James's dad, asleep in the chair, was just looking back. It was just, you know, yeah, those moments. Uh, the, at the time, you, you don't realize how special they are, I suppose. Yeah. So um, um, why did I say that? So <laughs> I, don't know, I lost my thought there just the sense of yeah because and we had this mad idea of you know starting a generation and so James had an actor friend from college but really this generation it was only them and me and this actor (laughs) you know we were like beat generation all you know all our sense of you know when you're 19 and 20 you just 
take on the world. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. But, you know, it's an important, I think, apprenticeship to go through as an artist. You know, you've got to you've got to fail so many times and have those crazy dreams and wear big coats and walk down your high street until people look at you and laugh at you and. If you come through that, it's like it's like training, isn't it, as an athlete? Well, definitely, you know, and then and then too have you know the success that you you did both have with that album. I mean, you know, I, to, I don't know about me, but yeah, but yes. Well, yeah. you you were you were an integral part know, of the but... process, though. You know, you you you're, you're being too modest, Patrick. <laughs> But, I mean, you, know, you know, it had some good reviews. It, 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 people it got it, it could have gone either way. Couldn't it? it could have been, what's two people, two blokes from Wales right now with Victor Hara for in Chile, etc. What do they know about it? You know, and, but hopefully it came through that we just did it from, you know, a pure motive of, you know, a story that needed to be told. And so, you know, if someone from Chile wanted to write about Owen Glyndura, you know, mm. fine, you know, isn't it? You know, I suppose. Yeah. We, yeah, we have to look quite far back for our heroes, <laughs> heroines. <laughs> Talking about the reviews, the favourable reviews that it had. So um, I've got just one here I'd like to read out from Ben P. Scott, who described it as a fantastic piece of work that works well as a collection of brilliantly written and highly enjoyable songs. And that's even without the fact that this is actually a concept album about the life of Victor Hara. The lyrics for this album were written by Patrick Jones, brother of Nicky Wyatt, and a fine wordsmith in his own right. Clearly inspired and, as always, wanting to bring another slice of history and culture to the attention of a new audience, Bradfield's second solo LP proves to be a fascinating side road in the Manic's remarkable story. And, yeah, I think that's just spot on, personally, you know. It is just bringing that 
that new slice, well, a slice of history, but to a new audience. And it's fantastic to think that there are people, possibly even as young as 15, 16, whatever, that may have heard it in, you know, my kids blasting out of my, <laughs> of my studio that are going to look up that story, go on Google and, and just spend a little bit of time with it, which I just think is, again, the wonderful power of music. Definitely, that's right. And, you know, all, all my life I've always, you know, been inspired by, you know, t- to go and find out about other stories, other writers, other poets, other lives that people write about, I suppose. It's that endless cycle, really. And, we, you know, we didn't set out to be like a big educational project, obviously mm-hmm. not. But, and, and interestingly, initially, you know, Victor Hara's songs are still performed and sung and he's, he's, he's got this huge, you know, following still, which is, which is rather beautiful, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, Joan, I think, must be ninety now, so she's she's probably mm. ninety. Um, and you know what what wealth of work Victor would have created after, because um, you know he, he was murdered in seventy three, so he was so young, you know, to think how, yeah. what he could have done as well. Um, so a terrible, you know, a life cut short. And so if I, if that album somewhere along the line, yeah, makes someone go and look into it, maybe write their own songs because, yeah. because you know Victor Hara just. You know, his sense of protest was so human and so deep. When you just read some of the lyrics or where the songs come from, um, uh, I'm looking at some of the titles and I got them written down here. Prayer to a Labourer. Levantate montaña de donde viene el viento el sol y el agua tú que manejas el curso de los ríos tú que sembraste el vuelo de tu alma levántate y mírate las manos para crecer estrecha la tu hermano juntos iremos Unidos en la sangre Hoy es el tiempo Que puede ser mañana Líbranos de aquel que nos domina En la miseria Tráenos tu reino de justicia Our hearts are full of banners, which could almost sound like a Billy Bragg song, mm-hmm. but it's a very gentle, understated, you know, but he wrote about the people, about the people, the oppressed, which when you look at the world at the moment, you know, you just think, oh, where's old Victor Hara now? You know, yeah. we, could do, we could do with that voice. Um, so I, I think the life, you know, his life, the way he lived it and his ethos is so, you know, inspirational is a word chucked bandied around too much, but it really... You know, it's really thought-provoking and it makes you think about your own reason to create, perhaps. And, um, yeah, 
So it's, it's yeah, it was, it, it was a little, perhaps it'll add to a little piece of his history. That's what, that's what I was trying to say, really. Yeah. 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 I think, um, yeah, the songs, there were four that, that have really stood out to me, which I'll share now. So, Rakertha. Recuerda when they come to your door With their laws and their guns When they take away our daughters And lead away our sons Recuerda that you nick some Pinochet Have the land of the free Disappeared those who would not obey In the name of liberty Santiago Sunrise, which you've already mentioned, and uh, From the Hands of Violetta, which you've also already mentioned, and the last song. Citizens 
I think they stand out for me, I guess, most lyrically and musically. So how, how that sort of melody and musical arrangement complements uh, the poetry of the, of the words. It almost feels like they were composed alongside it, you know, like, like sort of side by side. Of all the songs on the album, which do you feel, or is there one in particular that you feel that the, the music kind of just, yeah, that sums up exactly the message you wanted to convey? Mm, it's an interesting question, really, isn't it? Because, yeah, because I had no control over it and you totally interested apart from the one <laughs> you know um so, so i think to me it would be boy from the plantation when i first heard that i think i've said about this in one interview um when i heard that, that version of it i was sat probably as the car park or something um my, my mom had, had, had died and oh it was just a terrible time gen- generally really and my dad was very ill and i remember listening to that album sorry listening to that song and um it just made me cry it just it just summed up that sense of, I, I couldn't explain it, just where it came from, that sort of sound. So that's, that music was very important to me. And I also think then, for a different reason, the last song, the way it really chops and changes, and it really, um, I, I'm going to give a, a bit of a quote of <laughs> Bono now, sorry. But mm-hmm. I remember once he said, he said about um, To The Edge, he, want, he, he said, um, Bullet The Blue Sky, was it? it was like, and he said, I can't remember the very quote, that was terrible, you know. Oh, God, it's totally slipped out of my mind. But what he was trying to convey is for the edge to create a world through the amp. That's right, a world. You know, I can't remember the actual quote, so I don't want to misquote it. But it was like the edge for his guitar to sound like this place, this world that he was created in the song. Sorry. So um, so the lyric was about, um, you know, the, the... well, there's lots of different things, really, but the sense of the Victor Hara's last poem was written when he had been, uh, you know, taken taken from the university and put into this uh, this stadium with, I think, three or four thousand other political prisoners, people, aged, you know, uh, from uh, uh, university professors, singers, songwriters, people, uh, trade unionists. And I remember reading of this horrible world that, you know, with all guards in the army there. They were just shooting people at at uh, at will, and they knew Victor Hara. They knew, you know, um, who he was. There, he was a marked man, shall we say? So his last poem, he um, memorized it, and it was smuggled out by other members of the people who, who had been imprisoned there, and it lived on that mm. poem, which just oh, just made me, you know, very emotional. Really, that right at that point, he still wanted to bear witness, and and it and it it last. It lasted. So it was a sense that that was his last, his last song. And then I was thinking in a way, in a way, a sense of futility of here we are now and all these songs have been written. So if it was the last song, it, it, you know, it, is it worth it all? I suppose I was asking that question a bit. And, and then when I started writing it, it was a, a couple of lines about um, untie the noose, here is the ladder, one step at a time, being afraid to climb. They took your hands, but they could not silence your tongue. That's right, The Darkest Night, the last song. And, and, and the way James articulated that with his music, just, uh, it, was just, it was just very beautiful and very... And then it goes into that really darker side of mm. the song. Which is almost like like death, like bullets, sort of thing. So, so the music to that is almost like a soundtrack to Victor Hara's last 
couple of days and um, which yeah. is yeah so anyway yes i was going to say that that the verse you just well the chorus isn't it that you just uh, read out there that line uh, they took your hands but they could not silence your tongue that yeah that bit just yeah really got me and it's beautiful it's lovely musically and then you're right it just sort of goes back into that dark yeah more of a dirge but it really suits kind of what was happening at that at that point so yeah it really takes you takes you into it transforms you so sonically i think that yeah those two songs really you know mean a lot to me and then what james captured was just one other little tiny thing is that the end of santiago sunrise You know, it, it, I don't know how he, he won't tell me how he made the, the sound, but it's almost like a vortex. And it reminded mm-hmm. me, it reminded me of, of, of death, basically, of my m- mother and father passing, of what it must have been like for Victor Hara to suddenly mm-hmm. leave this world. And it, 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 every time I listen to it, it, it literally sucks the out of my own lungs. It's just, you know, the end of Santiago, it just sort of, <gasps> oosh. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it leaves me a goose pimple. So that, for a piece of just, just a soundscape, and, and it, and um, yeah, I think we both agreed, you know, James wanted to create almost that end, which is, um, yeah, which is death. But then, but then we must carry on, I suppose. There was a sense of when that, when that song finishes, you're left there thinking, right, wh- what, what can I do now, I suppose? Maybe if it's on a personal level with our loved ones mm. or, or society with protest and as we find ourselves in. In today's world, with so much to um, rage about, you know, what what can we all do? So, yeah, yeah I sound like a bloody preacher there going on about <laughs> all things. But but that's an interesting question, how words and the music match. And, yeah, because, you know, I've done, you know, you've handed a poem over to someone, you know, and, and they come back with maybe not what you expected. But, the, I mean, that's the risk, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh Yeah. It was it was great listening back to when James would come. He would come up in my house with a little acoustic guitar and just play, you know, those germinating songs, I suppose. He's clearly got a talent for making even something very dark. You know, I'm thinking about the Holy Bible as just kind of the very good example of this. Yeah. And a song like Yes is still so melodic. You know, if you take if you take take away all the instrumentation and just kind of sing that or hum that to yourself. For sale, damn can't seem the home questions of virgins. Listen, all virgins are liars, honey. And I don't know what I'm scared of or what I even enjoy, darling. Get money, but. Nothing turns out like you wanted to In these big streets A pity you can buy anything For 200 anyone can conceive of God in video He's a boy
a dress and a wash in the can Still say thank you Pekin chicken Sinking I still stand for old lady's couch shack and scream Just whistle it. <laughs> yeah. Without singing the words. It just, it's so melodic and, uh, but then works really well when you've got it in the context of, of the whole track. So, you know, it's definitely a, a skill that's, like, as you said, it can be a difficult one to balance getting something melodic, uh, yeah. singable, that doesn't detract too much from, you know, the serious subject matter of an album like this. But that's true. It's funny that, you know, that isn't there the chorus in Yes is like something like fucking call him Rita if you want or something. Yes. Some it's like this bizarre, dark, perverted world. And yet <laughs> it, it sticks in your head because of the way mm. James sings, sings it. Yeah. So, um, uh, no, he's, he's just, he, like I said, he's a workhorse. He, he mm. really, he, he just doesn't stop with them, um, you know, creating things and, you know, almost could drive you mad, I suppose. You're always hearing these melodies in your head, you know, and yeah. playing. So, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a he's a he's a great he's a great artist. <laughs> Do you know? I mean, has he shared with you if one of your lyrics from the album is a favorite, a particular favorite of his? Um, oh, good, good, yeah. It, it may well be what what we talked about that 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 that, that the last chorus in um, the last song. Mm. I think, yeah, I, I think that was something that he really enjoyed working with. Um, yeah, he wouldn't come back and say, "Oh, I really." He, he was obviously very open in his. I like this lyric, or that 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 works well. But but James, he, like I say, he just plows on with things sometimes, I suppose. So we, and we didn't really talk about that too much, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it would probably be the the, the chorus then about the uh, untie untie. I can remember it now. Untie the noose, here is the ladder. <laughs> One step at a time. <laughs> yeah. So I guess just just to finish up, then what do you think the legacy of this project is, or maybe? A better way to frame the question is uh, to quote a, a manic song. Can anyone still write a protest song? <laughs> can music still change the world? Or does an album like this, as great as it is, kind of just stand alone and, and then we move on from it? Or, or are there lives that can still be touched by, you know, the power of music as we spoke about already? Yeah, I suppose there's a few parts of that question. As to the album, I suppose, yeah. You know, it could be just forgotten about or as a, a almost like a heritage piece of art, I suppose, really. Hopefully it's not, you know, but but it could be that, that it was it's reflecting a time 50 years ago, you know, perhaps without a, having any relevance today. However, I, I, you know, I would say that Victor Hara's ideas and what he stood for and the whole movement in Chile is so important now, you know, so about people sticking together, communicating and and fighting for causes that, that, that they believe in, which we do see, I think, with Black Lives Matter. Me Too, mm. Extinction Rebellion. You know, I think people are, you know, standing up for things and really, really holding the line more than in the last 20 years, perhaps. Um, so as to if music, it's interesting because, yeah, those three movements mentioned there, I can't think of any music, which, unless I've missed it, maybe there they they are, have been things coming out, but, you know, I don't know, musically, which sort of are a testament to that, to those movements. I don't know if um, if you can think of any, but... Can you at all? I, I, I don't know yet. They I probably are, but I missed yeah. maybe a few. Well, what I mean, music isn't at the forefront, perhaps. 
interestingly in Chile, music and politics really went hand in hand. Yeah. Um, but in a very sort of organic way, it wasn't, again, you know, preachy and, um, you know, alienating. It, it was more inclusive because it weren't Victor What It wasn't just Victor Hara. It was lots of different musicians who were performing and playing at, you know, and, and interesting, you know, because I'm going off the subject a bit, but, you know, uh, music um, sort of went hand in hand with the Salvadoran Allende government, really. You know, they reached out to musicians to support them, which is quite, you know, imagine that happening, mm. <laughs> happening mm. here. Not even with, with Corbyn, really. Everyone would get, you know, um, slagged off for it sort of thing. But, but that was an interesting sort of marriage, shall we say, there. As to music, um, yeah, I would like to still believe that music can still, I'd say that, and, and straight away my hat, I feel heavy with how the way, you know, Spotify and everything takes over and um, and everything is so temporary and it's so the Twitter world of yes, no, yes, no, go. You know, it's all so quick, isn't it, the turnover? Mm. So a protest song could really do well now and then tomorrow everyone forgets about it perhaps, which, mm. but in my heart of hearts, I would like to still believe that, you know, music, uh, yeah, and writing the song which bears witness and connects with people and moves people and, you know, galvanizes people um can still exist yeah i would like to think that although i'm trying to think of someone who's doing that at the moment tom morello perhaps i love him actually mm -hmm. his sort of view of of words and that but as to a song doing you know i don't know it's, it's all so fragmented now isn't it and um yeah and and corporatized as well <laughs> if that's the word yeah, you know what I mean. Um, how about you? Any protest singers that you feel are relevant and galvanizing? I mean, like you said, I suppose things I would draw upon is <laughs> things from my, you know, my mum and dad's era. The, the stuff that still to me matters. You know, the words of Joni Mitchell and yeah. well, so many. Can't help but wonder. You've mentioned Spotify and the world of streaming and downloads. And, you know, it, it, it is such a shame that things have gone that way. And like you've mentioned you too. And a band like that, only off the back of their own fame, maybe could, could still get away with. But again, would it? the album might make a dent, which I don't think the singles would do much. You kind of almost need your, dare I say his name, Ed Sheeran or your Harry Styles of the world to try yeah. and do something, you know, r relevant important and with meaning but then would i actually believe it would i believe it or would that just you know i can imagine that if that did happen i would just roll my eyes and think oh god what is he what's he playing at yeah <laughs> you know i because I, I couldn't cope with just sort of someone attempting you know in the mainstream and not being sincere that that would that the closest, you know, a performance that I saw um, was Stormzy at, um, was it Glastonbury mm. two years ago? Yes. And I remember watching that and I was thinking, my God, you know, he, he's saying things that people need to hear and need to think about. And I really admired that performance. And I thought that was really, it was a bit, you know, like that punk ethos of just bearing mm. witness and putting it out there. And, and, and it was just him, just there. You know, I, I really admired that outpouring of words, you know, so, but maybe I'm just a bit of an old, person you know i don't know dipping into that but but, but yeah i i thought that was really vibrant and really um yeah honest you know yeah it certainly got people talking and i yeah actually thinking about that in work and being around young people that they were talking about that particular performance from the glastonbury lineup so i yeah i guess <laughs> 
I don't know. Yeah, you know, like I said, there's so many things that you can write about and protest about, and um, but you know, the platforms have just been so ah, oh, you know, diminished in a way that you know you put something out and uh, yeah, or, or you you look on YouTube and something has had 10 million views is just someone opening a can or something. Mm. It's almost like a surreal world of of um what you know of, of meaning it's, you know the spectacle of unmeaning <laughs> yeah yeah feels like yeah sounds like a good title for a black mirror episode i don't know if you've heard <laughs> yeah. but we got yeah. our faith in it perhaps in, in words and music and um it's, you know people are still creating and uh yeah hmm. oh yeah interesting victor hara and that you know so that's 50 years ago you think how has the world changed and uh, changed so much? Um, and and his, like I said, that that the position he occupied in his society. Who are those people now around the world? Perhaps you know, as as artists, musicians. You know, you got uh, what's his name? Bloody, I can't think. Of his name. Yeah, my terrible <laughs> my memory today. No, you know, married to the oh god, you know, um, Kardashian, or he was. Um, Oh, Kanye, Kanye West. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tweeted that his wife is a billionaire now. You know, that's art. That's protest now. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the street. And you think a billionaire and you're tweeting that. And anyway, uh, yeah, maybe that's not the right example in a way, but, but how <laughs> fame and power and money seems to, it does seem to crush a bit of creativity, should we say? Maybe, mm. maybe. Um, okay. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I couldn't even think of his bloody name. Sorry. Kanye West. Yes. Oh, good. Oh, thank you for your thank you Thanks for your time for tonight. Yeah, no, it's great. Great hearing about it from from your perspective, and yeah, just to kind of hear the inspiration behind behind the words. Um, yeah, and um, thank you for chatting to me. And yeah, be, that'll be nice. Nice to hear it now, edited a bit yeah. more. None of my <laughs> weird ramblings. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great. Cheers, Patrick. Take care then. Yeah, speak soon. Take it. Bye bye. Bye bye. Join me next time as I interview drummer Sally Ann Isles and bass player Carol Jane Norman. Could have been you, it could have been me, but it wasn't what it could have been. Feelings fade, feelings grow, but the show was taken off the road. Could it be that you caught my eye At a time when all hope had died Overwhelmed, overcome It ended before it ever really begun Did you fabricate your desire To change the temperature of the fire Or did we just in kind of the same world so differently? Only ever seeing what we want to deceive. Misrepresentations of reality. Was it one of us? Deja vu, stop repeating itself and leave you stuck on the shelf. Come, you could go I guess no one really knows for sure And it takes me by surprise When I get lost in those bewildering eyes Could it be that 
spread your gaze Or maybe apprehension pays Or the thinking several pensive looks As I'm skimming self-unhelpful books Did you fabricate your desire To change the temperature of the fire Or did we just kind of the same world so differently Only ever seeing what we want to deceive Misrepresentations of reality Was it wonderless? Deja vu stop repeating itself And leave you stuck on the shelf Hallucinate and conspire To show our hope upon the fire With wanderlust Deja vu stop repeating itself And leave you stuck on the shelf Is the temperature getting higher? Looks like you started to perspire Or did I just encounter a glimpse of your reality? Or was it only a dream? Or was it deja vu? Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.